Triple B Adventures Podcast. Get the buck outside. in life. One of them's Kentucky straight bourbon, the other one's uh, the other one's cigars, and then the final one's black coffee. Now, I can't really push the cigars and the bourbon off yet on my children because, you know, <laughs> my oldest one turns 18 in January, then I got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, and then I've got a 9-year-old. You can guess which one came as a surprise? <laughs> I thought, thought I was done. <laughs> my wife had other ideas. But, uh, That's hilarious. yeah, so, uh, I've, I've convinced them. I'm like, listen, if you drink black coffee and you enjoy black coffee, you will always be able to find coffee everywhere I've ever been in the world. I've always been able to find warm or, you know, warm, hot or cold coffee. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to find the creamer. You're not going to find the sugar. So if you tie your liking of coffee to those things, you're you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage because even though you can find coffee, it's not the coffee you like because yeah. you don't have the sugar, you don't have the creamer. Right. So now, like my my uh, eight, soon to be eighteen year old, my sixteen year old, my fourteen year old, like that's how they drink their coffee. They like it's black, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Couldn't be any more proud of you guys. Black, just the way I like my men, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what actually got me into drinking black coffee was being out in the field and not having because any fucking... you can always yeah. find it anywhere. Yeah. And like we, somebody I'm always brought that out they the... stash it under rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, being in calm, right? We always had the the leisure of getting our fucking static proof EMI shelters, yeah. like twenty foot long fucking shelters, and everyone's yep. bringing TVs, Xboxes, fucking right, coffee pots, right? But fridges draw too much power, so you could get you could have like a small one, but like nobody brought creamer, so it's just like, yeah. oh well, we got a coffee pot, you know? We're like, yeah. okay, cool. I guess I'll I need to stay awake for this night shift. So I'll just drink black coffee, and then that's how what I got we used it, to the do, black coffee. What we used to do is we'd, like, brew a pot of black coffee, let it, like, become, like, warm, you know, take the edge off from it, and then pour it back into the uh, reservoir and run another... Uh, <laughs> and re another, it, oh, yeah, percolate it. That's yeah, fucking nuts. Double brewed, man. Like, we, we, were, we were ahead of Starbucks and, like, yeah. these pour-over guys a long time before... We had double brew going on in uh, in Iraq. Now, okay. did you did you get it over the same grounds or new no. grounds? New grounds, man. Damn, that yeah, be man. Some fucking yeah, <laughs> like oh, yeah. straight caffeine shots. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you right espresso now, espresso without had, espresso. Had we been able to, had we been able to regularly find Copenhagen in the uh, cardboard cans, we probably would have thrown some of that in there too, just to like you know liven up the taste. And I mean, we were chewing it anyways, yeah. but. No, that that stuff was a uh, it was a rare commodity, so you weren't wasting it on anybody else. So speaking of those two combinations, so I when I was in Iraq was much later than yeah. than you. I was in Iraq from 2010 to 2011. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. You ever heard of Wild Tiger? No. So Wild Tiger was a soldier's dream. 
it was a can. It was a can with caffeine uh-huh. and fucking nicotine. What? Yeah, it had nicotine and caffeine in it. In the can. In the can. And it's like a drink. Yeah, it was crazy. We had soldiers Man, doing that before that PT tests. Delicious. They were, they were. Fucking, oh yeah. They were yeah. making tape just by drinking that and doing the PT test. Yeah. <laughs> Br- brought to you, brought to you by Folgers in Copenhagen. Right. <laughs> Heart attack in a can. Jesus Christ, that's was, nuts. Yeah. Oh man, dude, you know you'd be in line for it though. Like uh, I, I remember the first time I saw Rippets when we got <laughs> back to like, like it was years after like my last tour in Iraq was in uh, 06. So it was like years later. I was like, I was like walking through like the the aisle in that weird liquor store that has everything. Like they've got the eighteen thousand dollar bottle of like <laughs> like Don Julio's little brother's tequila, but they've also got like you know the little bottle of Stoli that like you know <laughs> right. made out of indestructible plastic. But uh. They always have that that weird aisle that's always towards the back in the middle of the store, and they like walk in and they're like, like, rippets, but they were like double stackers. They were like they looked like tall boys, but they were rippets. I was like, what the frig is that? <laughs> and like my wife was like, why are you so uh, why are you so interested in this? I'm like, cause it's a rippet. Like, what the hell's a rippet? I'm like, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> oh man, fucking. I remember, like, when uh, when I was on the Mew, our big thing was, like, when we finally hit the Middle East, we got Georgia coffees, mm-hmm. the fucking iced coffees. Oh, yeah, man. Dude, I would, oh, like, yeah. I wanted to IV that shit. Oh, yeah. It tasted so good. Well, in Japan, in Japan, the Georgia coffees yeah. actually have nicotine in them. Oh, really? No yeah. wonder I fucking love them so much. I know, right? It's like, <laughs> man, it's like, I don't know about this coffee, but man, I could really go for a pack of freaking Pall Malls. Dude, I tried uh, I tried ordering some, and uh-huh. like, it, it's just like almost impossible to order mm-hmm. overseas. Yeah. It fucking sucks. We got people joining us? I thought. I thought we had oh. like people peeking in. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, they're, they're well, interested. I tried to, you know, get them yeah. in. Yeah, cool. a couple, oh. couple of Marines, a Marine couple. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Literally a couple of Marines. Yeah. Huh. It's yeah. like never going home from work. <laughs> you know, when, you, when Marines marry Marines, man, like, it's it's almost like a victimless crime. <laughs> I just had a buddy who Arguably, was... it may be to cover up a victimless crime. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a buddy who just got divorced. Oh, and his he would uh, so. right, he went fucking <laughs> di and she went uh, recruiting, and they got stationed oh. down here in San Diego and then he had to go to Twenty Nine Palms, and uh, after that she got she got orders out to North Carolina, and so my buddy his he stayed on the West Coast his entire enlistment and he's from Temecula. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I take that back. He went to Japan and then yeah. he, but the rest of it he's been on the West Coast and so. The monitor was like, you need to go to the East Coast. And he was just like, fuck, like, I don't want to go to the East Coast. My ex-wife's going to be there. Right. Like, I don't want to be there because eventually she's going to fucking realize, like, you know, that shit was just hard and they can get over it or whatever, right? So yeah. he found another guy in his uh, class because he was in his, uh, in like a maintenance chief's class. Yep. And he was like, he found a dude that wanted to go to the East Coast but had orders to the West Coast. And he let the monitor know, like, hey, man. Me and this guy want to switch orders. Right? He's like, dude, fuck you. Like, you need to go to the East Coast. He's like, no, man, I can't do it. My ex-wife's <laughs> over there. And so he's like, fine. Like, 
You can you. I'll let you change orders, but I'm putting a note in here next time. You're going to the fucking East Coast. Like, <laughs> can you put a note in hers saying that she has to come to the West Coast? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just fucking flip flop them every time. Jesus, that's oh. like the biggest inconvenience ever. Like, we can't you know, have like these guys in the, the same operational region at all. You remember back in the day, you could actually ask for certain things. Like when you reenlisted, like you could ask to go to jump school or whatnot. Could you imagine asking to be like? To have it written into uh, your reenlistment that your ex has to be swapped from coast to coast every time you're swapped from coast to coast. Like, yeah. Like, man, that's hatred, man. That's hatred. Yeah. Even if you have, like, a fucking, like, temporary duty assignment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You go yeah, TDA yeah. somewhere. Like, no, she can't be in that area. Yeah. She's got to fucking move. Like, hey, <laughs> I just wanted order. to let you know. I'm uh, I'm coming to Key West, uh, you know, at the end of this month for two weeks. So you better pack your bags because you're going to two weeks of 29 bombs. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the longest TBA intro ever. <laughs> That's what happens, man. You, you get so, me and Gary talking in whiskey, and it's just so, it's gonna keep yeah, going it's awesome. forever. And as you all know, Nate Landshark Shermer, and we have every man's, every Marine's. Favorite funny man and every woman. I'm not biased. Right. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah, Justin. Back, back. It's been a long fucking time, man. Been Justin fucking busy Allen. with life. Yeah, man. Yeah. So glad to be You're here. Moving and shaking, buying houses, shaking yeah. babies. Shout out to fucking uh, Tip of the Spear Realty and the fucking Brian Britton. There Just we go. Nailed it. Yeah. Man. Best experience I could have ever hoped for in buying a house. And so glad I didn't go through. USAA or Navy Fed. Not that those are, those are bad, right? Like, you know, everyone's got their own preferences and things can work out differently for everybody. But Brian Ritten was, he was the fucking cat's pajamas on this one, man. It was oh, fucking yeah. nice. Not <laughs> only did he get you the house that you wanted, but he saved you like 40 grand. Oh, it was like 15 grand. But still, man. like, that's that's a huge amount, right? That's Geico like, savings, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we, he... Knew exactly what he was talking about. He's fucking really knowledgeable about what he's doing. He, he puts in the time and the effort and the homework, and that really shows in his work. And he basically, we had a strategy. We came at it, and fucking everything that he said was going to happen happened, and we came out on top and saved $15,000. So awesome. I'm all fucking about that it, man. Awesome. <laughs> and we have a special guest, longtime supporter of Triple B. Absolutely. And an avid outdoorsman. And also a Marine. Yeah. Gary Patterson. Hey. Hey. Yeah. And and also Justin's cousin. Just so everybody uh, out there. Like, everybody has to do Yeah, that. you can hear the relations <laughs> in our voice. So so comedy must run in your guys' family. Yeah, right. Well, it does to a point where they didn't tell us we were related for yeah, like the right. first like 30 some odd years. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, I hear, I hear there's a story. Let's oh, yeah. Yeah, Who so, wants to tell that story? Uh, Maybe you got the first part. Yeah, 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 yeah. So me and uh, Gary met through another friend of ours, Colin. You know, hashtag fucking Kit Fox Outfitters. Get the fox outside. You know, follow him on Instagram, like him on Facebook, all that fun shit. He, go uh, to their store. Yeah, go to their store. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. Store. <laughs> so Gary and Colin have known each other for a long time. Yeah, since 2003 or 2004. Yeah. yeah. And then I met Colin through Triple B, and then... Uh, we I, I'd seen Gary off and on through TBA events, even coming out in 3MR and being an instructor and stuff like that. Mm. And then uh, we were starting to hunt together, and it was turkey season two falls ago. Yeah. And uh, 
Colin had taken some pictures because he was looking for some uh, some propaganda to post on his page. And my stepmom sees me and Gary in a picture together, and Gary's tagged in it. She's like, oh, how do you know Gary? I was like, yeah, he's a Marine vet. You know, we're, we're buddies. We go hunting all the time and stuff like that. She's like, I grew up with Gary. And mind you, Gary and my stepmom are from this small farm town in upstate New York on the complete opposite coast, right? And then Gary joins the Marine Corps fucking way earlier than I did and just yeah. happens to stay down here, right? And then yeah. this, it's all six degrees, right? It's a fucking, it was insane. Yeah, yeah, so his, his stepmom is actually like my, would be like my second cousin. So she grew up knowing me, because she was older than I was, so like she remembers me from when I was like a little kid. Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it's like, that kind of stuff shows you exactly how small this world really is. Right. When you come all the way out to California, I have been out here like 20 years. I've been hunting with Justin for years. And then all of a sudden his mom's like, yeah, you guys are related. <laughs> how cool is that? Not to mention that too, but like the fact that it's San Diego, right? Yeah. This is not a small town. No. It's fucking full of people. San Diego yeah. County is huge. Yeah. yeah it's one of huge. the biggest counties in, in the nation. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, we just happen to fucking meet each other. Yep. And then uh, on top of that, it's like, oh, yeah. oh hey, we're fucking related. Great. Yep. Hey, cuz. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. No, I love it. It's been great. No, it's so good. <laughs> I, I got I got to join the Marine Corps and come out to California and, uh, you know, get a cousin out of it. Find a I mean, family. Sweet. <laughs> get a cousin. Right on, right on. So you said you grew up in in the East Coast. Yes. Yeah, I grew up in northern New York, uh, right along the uh, Canadian border uh, between the the two biggest cities near us is uh, Plattsburgh is on the uh, coast of Lake Champlain across the uh, lake from Vermont, and uh, then Messina, New York. Those are the two cities that are on either side of this small little area called Malone that I grew up in. But... Uh, when I say along the Canadian border, I mean we used to walk into Canada. Like, that was a thing. Right, there was no border patrol back then. Well, I mean, you could walk, like back then it wasn't crazy. I mean, yeah. as long as you had proof of who you were, whether it was a driver's license or even a school ID, you could go into Canada and you could come back. Nobody really cared. Since then, it's gotten a little bit more uh, oh, for tight. Sure. Yeah, you've actually got to have, like, you know, the same thing that we have down here. You got to have the passport card or a passport, you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, we, we literally would walk from where like we lived across the border because it was easier than driving. Yeah. And at that point, uh, when I was growing up, the drinking age in Quebec, the portion of Canada that I grew up uh, below, the drinking age was 18. And <laughs> so what was if it? you could buy a pack of smokes in the United States, in New York, you knew you looked old enough to go get served in Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there were times you were stumbling across the border going, oh man, I gotta get to school. <laughs> Completely smashed after a night of drinking, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it, it was this really, really cool place to grow up. Uh, I grew up on a 480 acre dairy farm. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was my dad, my mom, me and my brother, and a whole bunch of cousins that, you know, Justin will eventually meet, you know, but has since replaced. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a small little uh, family-owned dairy farm, which was hilarious because 
So my dad and my mom both grew up with more than 10 children on each side in their family, right? It's a lot of kids. So the farm that my dad grew up on, which later on would be the farm that we grew up on, he had all of that help. Then when right. he bought the farm off from my grandfather, suddenly like, I don't know, like maybe business wasn't good and he had to lay off everybody or something. But suddenly we found that it was four of us doing the work. And I mean, you know, it's a lot of work, you know, a lot of work, you know, and it eats, it eats into a lot of free time. But I mean, the truth of the matter is 480 acres in Northern New York is any boy's dream. The idea that when I finish my chores, I could go up, grab my shotgun, go out to the woods, kill some birds, come home, dress them out, throw them into a pan with some stuffing and, you know, have partridge or pheasant that night. You know, deer hunting, camping, hiking, it was all there, you know? And it was like, honestly, the one thing that I regret about living here with my children is not being able to give them that kind of free range. Okay. So with that, that's what has driven me to get outdoors as much as I do while I live here in San Diego is to drag my kids outside so they can experience a little bit of what I had on a daily basis growing up. Yeah, yeah we went to awesome. a, We went to one of our spots that we like to go turkey hunting and camping overnight uh, out by Julian. And we it's were, actually out by Chula Vista. Chula Vista. Chula yeah, yeah, Vista. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell people Julian. <laughs> up, up, by, up, by, up by Riverside, you know. Yeah, up Riverside. There, Riverside. <laughs> but uh, he we, he took uh, one of his sons. Yeah. You Xander. have more than one son, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, Xander. Yeah, I've got yeah. four, four okay. boys. Oh, four boys. Oh, that, yeah. That he can so, remember. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or that they can prove. Right. <laughs> but uh, we were out. We were just glassing, and we were more or less just hiking around. And yeah. uh, when you say glassing, what is So what glassing is, is referring to you're just hiking out to areas, and you get binoculars, and you're just looking for any signs of whatever animal you're looking for, right? Yeah. It could be deer. Okay. It could be – we were looking for because, turkey specifically that yeah. day. Because animals, animals – they develop tendencies, you know, they, they tend to do the same thing. So if you see, if you see a herd of deer in an area, they're probably going to be in that area again, you know, further in the future. So you glass because it allows you to stand off away from them far enough that you're not, you're not introducing yourself into that area. Right. Yeah. Not giving yourself and watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Not making too much noise and spooking them, letting them know that there's human presence, you know, you want them to be, be calm and not, mm-hmm. you don't want them to know that you're there, right? So yeah. you're, you're so, doing recon. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Except we're just the looking at. the reason why we do this. Right. <laughs> we're just looking at beautiful views of the fucking mountains and just quiet, Absolutely. calm, peaceful areas out in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it seems. It's really not that far out. No. But. Um, and it's amazing because you'll run into people. Yeah. He brought, uh, he brought Xander with him. Yeah. And we went to this one spot, and he he has a Kentucky long rifle that he got fucking custom made. Yeah, that thing is so fucking Very sweet. Nice. And we were just oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, we went to a separate area where we don't camp, and yeah. <clears throat> there's a little area you can shoot out there. We were yep. just plinking away with this Kentucky long rifle. He's got all the fucking goodies too, all the different oh, yeah. ways to measure the powder out. You know, he's got the rod. You're fucking, yep. you know, packing everything in there, and it's like you know, it's going back to. Being in the fucking Revolutionary yeah. War or some shit. Daniel, adopted uh, adopted son of Chingach, yeah. the last of the Mohican people. Yeah, man, no, it was fucking fun though. And I've, you've oh, taken yeah. Xander out too. To uh, we were dove hunting, I think. Yep. In yep. San Felipe Valley. Yep. 
Everybody knows that. I can name drop that one. You yeah. know, anybody who hunts knows where San Felipe is. Yeah, yeah. Start at, start at the opposite end of where you see a silver Ford Focus and walk towards them. <laughs> I promise you I won't shoot you. I will only shoot the birds you flush towards me. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah. you talked about growing up in, in the East Coast, New York, close yeah. to the Canadian border, and hunting, hiking, camping, and fishing. Mm-hmm. All that played a role in your life. Oh, absolutely. What about the military when you're growing up? Did you so, have family members that were yeah, in the military? Yeah, uh, so I had an uncle who was, uh, he was a Marine during uh, Vietnam. Um, didn't really ever talk about his service much. Uh, and, you know, he, he lived a little, he lived downstate from us. So, you know, when he did come up, we all knew because, of course, that, that typical uh, Marine uh, boot camp photo in his dress blues with nothing on it, you know, <laughs> above my grandmother's, uh, you know, living room wall, you know. So we all knew that he was a Marine, but uh, he didn't really talk that much about it um, until years later after I had joined uh, him and I actually talked. It was like, you know, now I was in the gun club, you right. know, we, we could talk eye to eye, man to man. But uh, one of my first earliest uh, memories was uh, I had an uncle who was in the Army who actually deployed during a Desert Storm. Okay. So when, when I was a child, I actually remember writing him letters while he was overseas, you know, fighting, you know, the same people that I would later turn around and fight, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of decades later. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like... It was crazy, you know, and so there, there was, I also had an aunt who was in the Air Force. Uh, she was a, uh, she was a tech sergeant uh, when she passed away. Uh, she actually ended up uh, battling breast cancer and, uh, you know, eventually lost the fight with that. So, Sorry I mean, we, we had a lot of, a lot of like military, uh, a lot of military uh, examples, you know, good, solid people in you know in my life that always made me you know look up to the military and uh the the story about how i got in or how i actually got recruited was uh i had came home uh i was living in plattsburgh for a time because that's where all the jobs were and uh, i came home and i was sleeping on my parents couch uh when my brother was getting ready to graduate high school it was probably yeah, about December time frame, his recruiter walks in, sees me sitting there on the couch. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, being a loser on my parents' couch. And he's like, you ever think about joining the Marine Corps? And I looked at him and I was like, well, uh, tell you what, if you can ship me out in a couple of weeks, I'm waiting on my last check from uh, my last job. When that gets here, I'm heading, uh, I'm heading north and east. I'm going up to... Uh, going up to Maine and uh, I'm going to uh, try to greenhorn on a uh, lobster boat. And he's like, yeah, I can ship you in two weeks. Damn, like, How okay, old cool. are you at this time? So I'm 19 at this time. Okay. Okay. So I'd already worked some factory jobs and realized that uh, I wasn't ready for college and I didn't want to work factory jobs anymore. Right. So, you know, I, I had made a friend who lived up in Maine that had a lobster boat and he offered me an opportunity to go up there and greenhorn for them and it's good money and it's seasonal work so you work for however many months and then you're off and you either jump over to something else or you go home easy is an understatement though oh yeah in in that Mm. job yeah yeah yeah. oh no it's work (laughs) it's work yeah but i mean it's it's 
it's good, honest work for honest pay, right. you know, which was something that I was already used to, you know, growing up on a farm, you realize that, you know, it's not monetary, it's food on the table, yeah. roof over your head, you know? And uh, so, yeah, he, he basically told me he could, uh, you know, he could ship me out in two weeks. So I said, sure, cool, go for it. And did in it the, happen like that? Was he able to ship you out in two weeks? So it gets even better <laughs> because this period of time is, this is December of 97, January of 98. Okay. The Northeast gets hit by the giant ice storm that puts all of the, uh, all of the entire Northeastern part of the United States goes into a state of emergency. We end up over at my uncle's house because he's got generators and there's no power or anything. Well, I'm sitting at my uncle's house and the phone rings. Of course, you have no power, no like no hot water, none of this stuff. But the phones still work, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. good old Ma Bell. Yeah. Well, it's it's my recruiter, and he's like, "Hey man, like, can you ship early?" And I'm like, "Like when?" He's like, "I'm coming to pick you up right now." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Oh fuck yeah! So he pulls up, and I like look at him, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, Gunny, uh, just wondering, uh, like, do they have hot water down in uh, down at boot camp?" And he's like, oh, man, they got so much hot water, man. You're going to love it. So, so I jump into a car, and we get a police escort from my uncle's house to the highway. Because unlike here in Southern California, the highways, you have two highways that run up the north or the east and the west side of the state. And then you have a couple of highways that cut across the uh, middle of the state. But other than that, everything's like rural route. It's yeah. all uh, like surface roads. Right. So the state of emergency stopped the uh, towns from plowing the roads or doing mm -hmm. any of that stuff. So we needed a police escort to get to the highway. The highways were being taken care of by the state. So they were clear and open. So as soon as we got there, you know, he could punch it up to 70 and drive the four hours to Albany, New York. But I got down to Albany, New York, and they had power. I took a hot shower. The next day, I went and got on an airplane. And then the rest is 13 years of, uh, you know, doing this. Yeah. <laughs> you probably felt like a celebrity. Yeah. Getting that yeah. initial experience. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. And back then, they, uh, those smaller airplanes, they left the uh, cabin doors open. So while we were flying, the pilots would let us come up and sit on the uh, little uh, jump seat. On their between. laps? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, look, that's not the joystick. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you wonder why they call them the friendly skies? Or why it's oh, a God. cockpit. <laughs> yeah, cockpit. <laughs> you mean flight deck? Did you just say dick? <laughs> Too funny. Oh, yeah, man. No, so it was a good time. And I mean, it was great. Like, I, I, I got to do so much. I've seen places that, like, so my kids are at an age now where they're starting to understand, like, because I got, I got out in 2011. So they were, they were still pretty young. And uh, I uh, recently did an interview with uh, my son for uh, one of his school projects. And he was asking me about my time in the military. And he started asking about, like, you know, like, where have you been? And, you know, at one point I was, like, halfway through telling him. And he's like, how much longer? Because, like, my hand's getting so... I'm like, <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is, <laughs> went everywhere, man. Like, yeah. I had a great time. I got to see so much of the world. And, I mean, like, 
everywhere that I went, I tried to like immerse myself in the cultures of like, you know, where, where I was at. And like one of the best ways to do that, as you can see from my girlish figure and the people listening can't, you know, visualize this. I'm very slim. <laughs> He's like but, six, nine, 390 pounds. Yeah. Just solid yeah, muscle. Yeah, solid muscle. <laughs> but I, I would find like the first thing I would do is I would, I would go and dive into their local foods. Because I mean, I, I grew up. Smart. I grew up south of Canada. Those those guys put mayonnaise on everything. They dipped their French fries in mayonnaise and maple syrup. Yeah. So I mean, I wasn't scared of anything. I mean, if you can do that, you can do anything. So I mean, I found myself eating things that were still wriggling on the plate, and but having a great time doing it. And I, I found that with that, I developed like a extreme. Uh, an extreme uh, love for like all of these different places to the point where I'd get ready to go on deployment and I'd already be planning out like if we hit this port this is where I'm going this is where I'm going so when everybody else was running for the bars to set their heads on fire you know I was going to eat and then mm -hmm. I would come out like you know in a food coma and like everybody else is passed out at the bars and I'm like I thought we were gonna drink guys like, <laughs> So it kind of garnered me like this uh, this reputation for this guy who could drink into the like the wee hours of the night. The reality is, it's because I didn't start until after I was done eating, and yeah, by that yeah. time I wouldn't start feeling drunk until like one in the morning because right. I was on a full stomach. But <laughs> right, everybody right. else was, yeah. So I mean, you know, it, it helped build the legend of like you know me drinking and That's smart. Yeah, Just further proving that. The Marine Corps is full of just functioning alcoholics. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> high, functional high, alcoholics. high functioning alcoholics. <laughs> yep. So you joined up, and when you joined, did you get the job that you wanted, and did you stick with that job? Mm, so I didn't get the job I wanted, which actually turned out to be a blessing. Uh, so when I first joined up, I joined up. And I tried to go legal admin because it sounded sexy, <laughs> right? And JAG was a thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I didn't get that job because I ran into a couple of legal admins later on. And like, you know, when it was tax time and they were working until like nine o'clock at night doing my taxes. Did you want this because of the movie A Few Good Men? No, I wanted it because of JAG. <laughs> Catherine Bell. Woohoo! Okay. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, the few good men, if anything, that scared me, man. I, I was scared that Jack Nicholson was a real like Marine and he was gonna like show up and yell at me. And fucking like, haze oh, the shit out yeah, of you. Yeah. I was gonna get code redded. <laughs> oh god. To this day I can't drink code red Mountain Dew. Every time I have a glass of it, I, I fall down in seizures. You can get fucking PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> but That's uh awesome. yeah, so uh fortunately I didn't get I didn't get that job at that point. You know, we all learn the reality is you get a area. So Needs I get area. told at, I get told at, uh, at, uh, combat training that, uh, I am going to be aircraft maintenance administration. I looked at the, uh, combat instructor and I was like, Hey, Sergeant, what is that? He looks at me and he goes, I have no freaking idea, but it sounds like you're going to have a great office and a really nice, comfortable chair, and I hope the hell you can type. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on a farm, and it was before every house had a computer. I didn't know how to type. 
And that would later on like screw me over because you have to type at a certain speed before they let you out of A school. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I spent a couple of extra weeks at A school just typing. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually I ended up in the fleet. Uh, I was uh, So I was maintenance admin for a helicopter squadron for uh, a couple of years. And then uh, after my first, as my first enlistment was coming up, uh, I decided to lap move. I was friends with nothing but ordnance men. And like I was telling you earlier, you know, explosives runs in, uh, you know, in my DNA. <laughs> my, my great, or uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad was a uh, explosives layer for the state of New York. So to me, I wanted, I wanted to be ordnance, you know. A lot, of, a lot of people who are ordnance will tell you that they signed up for that. The reality is they all wanted to be firefighters. I actually <laughs> wanted to be ordnance, and I, I got my wish. And uh, that's, what I ended up, uh, that's what I ended up doing the majority of my time. So my first enlistment I did as maintenance admin. And that job, I mean, you can only do so much of typing before you know what you're going to be Like, right. it had no excitement left to it at all. I, like, at one point, following September 11th, they put a group of us on a LPD, the small, uh, the smaller Navy ships that can land, like, a couple of helicopters on the back. Okay. Um, they put a squadron detached, or our squadron detached 446 helicopters to an LPD, and I was the only person doing my job there as a corporal. <laughs> <laughs> and then after doing that for eight months, I came home and, you know, the staff sergeant's like, hey, uh, you know, I sent the Lance Corporal home early. Uh, I need you to take out the trash. And I was like, I just spent, you know, the last eight months being my own boss. And yeah, this isn't going to work. So at that point, I started, you know, I started looking into what it would take to lap move. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, I got I got the uh, I got the last boat space. That was available uh, to a lap mover in the MOS, and I became a uh, aviation ordnance man. Went through uh, school as a Huey and Cobra guy, and then dropped to transports for uh, for about four years, and then uh, I finished up the rest of my time on F-18s. Okay. So the great thing is That's I got awesome. to touch it all. Hell yeah. Yeah, lots of bombs, lots of machine guns, rockets, missiles. Got to do it all. It was fun. Nice. Cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. Oh, 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 oh. oh, it's the boom. I love the boom. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So of all the ports, all the countries that you've been to, what are two of your favorite and why? Okay. So Thailand, hands down, my favorite. <laughs> and not for the reason you think. <laughs> no, Thailand's gorgeous. No matter where you go, it is a gorgeous country filled with awesome people. And there is so much stuff you can do there that like, you know, I, I get all of the jokes about the adult Disneylands and all of that. But the truth of the matter is it really is adult Disneyland. If you want to drink 40s and drive four wheelers through a forest being chased by tigers and monkeys <laughs> and monkeys, you can do it. So funny thing about the monkey thing. I knew and there my was a kids, story. oh yeah, there. If you're in Thailand, <laughs> there's a monkey story. And my kids just heard this one and they were laughing about it. So uh, it's me and my buddy. So battle buddies, right? We get a hotel room and uh, we go out drinking the night before. And I had actually made friends with one of the bar owners. He was a uh, he was a uh, Irishman who had moved uh, to Thailand years before. And I actually introduced him to the lady who would become his wife. 
And uh, so anytime we would go to uh, anytime we would go to uh, Phuket, Thailand, we would always go see them. And uh, so one night we go in, we see him, and uh, my my buddy and I are sitting there, and he breaks out like his his secret stash of Irish whiskey. So we're drinking, and all of a sudden I look over, and my buddy falls off the chair. <laughs> he falls off the bar stool, and our buddy looks at me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take him back to the hotel room. So we go back, and I'm sleeping. I wake, and I left the uh, the the French doors open to the balcony. Because that mist, man, that that jungle mist early in the morning, that thing is better than any IV to cure a hangover I've ever had. I love it, That's right? Awesome. Well, I hear my buddy ramsacking the complimentary bar. Oh, I don't really care because it's a complimentary bar. Oh. It's not it's not a you know nine hundred dollar bottle of peanuts. It's everything that's in there is free. It comes with the price of the room. Another great thing about Thailand. And when you run out of Heineken's, call the front desk. They bring you more. Right? (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. But, uh, and I hear him ransacking this fridge. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? You don't need to be drinking and eating. It's 7 in the morning. And he goes, dude, it's not me. At this point, I open my eyes and I look over. There is a monkey who has climbed (laughs) in through the open doors on our balcony who is eating a Snickers bar and has opened a Heineken, is drinking the Heineken and eating Snickers. That is awesome. I'm like, Cole, Cole, you need to wake up, dude. He's like, what? I'm like, it's a monkey, man. He's like, that's cool. I'm like, no, dude, there is a monkey eating a Snickers bar and drinking a Heineken. And he like looks over and he's like, Oh shit! I'm like, yeah, man. I think they all have rabies. He's like, so what do we do? I'm like, I'm just gonna lay here like I'm not here because eventually he's gonna run out of Snickers, run out of Heinekens. He's out the freaking, you know, he's out the door. Like, I, I'm good. But oh yeah, man. So Thailand, Thailand is such a cool place, and I highly recommend people visit Thailand. I've actually had friends from my civilian life. Who have actually went to Thailand because I've told them, you know, so many great stories about it. And they've went and they've seen it firsthand. And it, it's amazing. And the cool thing is you can now get flights into uh, Phuket. Mm. Compared to before you used to have to fly into Bangkok and then bus down. No longer. Now you fly into Bangkok and then they fly you into Phuket. So real, real cool place. Uh, the second, uh, the second uh, place that I've been was... Uh, uh, Japan. Japan's amazing. And yeah. I was very fortunate to be able to go and visit Japan on leave a bunch <laughs> of times. So being over there on leave is a lot different because you don't have battle buddies. Exactly. You don't yeah. have a command to answer to. I mean, you still cannot screw up because it'll cost you your career right. and it's an international incident. And they'll find a command that will adopt you long enough to NJP you, put you on a plane and ship you back to the States. So you're still on your best behavior, but you have a lot more freedom to move around. And Japan is the country that I will say it is the easiest to move around in. Because as a tourist over there, you have access to this thing called the Rail Pass, and it's only available to tourists. Uh, and what it, it's an all-inclusive transportation pass. It includes the Shinkansen bullet trains, all of the smaller trains, the uh, subways, and uh, also the bus system. So it's an all-inclusive way to move around because if you've ever been to Japan, Americans have no reason to drive in that country. 
we should not drive there at all. Their two lane roads are about the size of our one lane road. And it, it is a nightmare. If you are not used to driving, like I don't even know how you could. I, I've never drove in that country and I've been there enough to know that I never ever want to drive in that country. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, so the first, the first time I went over there, I had, it was me by myself with my, uh, with my uh, oldest son, but he was still like, he was like a year old. And I traveled from uh, Naruto all the way down to uh, Sasebo by myself with this one-year-old. And I made it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't get lost. Didn't get kidnapped by the Yakuza. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was awesome. You know? But uh, those are two places that I honestly think that, like, people have to see them while they're, like, while, while you while you still have time on Earth and you can move around, go see those two places. Put them on your bucket list. Go and deep dive them. Eat everything, even if you don't know what it is. Eat it because <laughs> the worst comes to worst, it's gonna taste it's gonna taste bad. You're gonna spit it out and you're gonna wash it down with an alcoholic beverage. You're fine, you know. Right. So it's uh, good. So when are we going to Thailand? <laughs> Anytime. My my wife my wife's already put it on our bucket list. Nice. You know I'm. I'm really hoping to, uh, I'm really hoping to, uh, you know, like within the next 10 years, I would like to go and do like, you know, do a week there, you know, because oh, yeah. it's magic, man. Thailand's been on my bucket list for, oh. for ages. Well, I'll tell you, if you're going to go, go to Phuket. Phuket is, it's like key west of Thailand. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's beautiful. Uh, have you ever seen the movie, The Island? I think it's The Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. Like they swim out to that island that's yeah, covered yeah, yeah. in pot. Well, the uh, those grass bungalows that they were staying in at the beginning of the movie, those are actually in Phuket on Patia or Patong Beach. Nice. Yeah, and you can cool. stay in those. You can rent those. I've heard okay. good stories about Patia too. Patia is really cool, but it's not as beautiful as Phuket is. Phuket mm. looks like paradise. Patia is just really cool. I uh, I got a buddy who's still active right now, and mm -hmm. he's really big into softball. Yeah. Like adult league softball. Yeah. And even though he's stationed out here in Twenty Nine Palms, he goes. He he's actually either just went out or just got, or he's either out there right now or just got back from Thailand for a softball tournament. Because when he was he was stationed back in Japan for his last duty station. And like every year, they just have this softball tournament in Thailand, yep. and it's just a bunch of Marines that are oh, all yeah. there. They all travel there and play against other Marine teams from around That's the cool. area. And he fucking loves Thailand. Yeah, and he's man. told me a bunch of great stories. Oh yeah, oh and it's it is it, and there's so much trouble to get in there. Like, yeah, most of his stories were not safe for work. Kind yeah, of stories. You, 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 you can get into some trouble there. Like, and the great thing about it is, like, most of the time, as long as nobody dies or nobody's injured. They just brush it off because it's Thailand. They have, see, they have seen things that we will never ever see in our life. Like talking, <laughs> talking to the police officers while I was on shore patrol there. Talking to the police officers Ugh. there. Like those are the kinds of guys you need to get in here for a podcast. Buy <laughs> one of those guys in and have him talk about the things that he's seen us all do while we've been on deployment there. Oh. That would be amazing. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, so cool, so cool. So you served 
several years in the Marine Corps. Yeah, 13. 13, 13 years. years. Multiple deployments. Multiple deployments. Everything what? from ships to uh, UDPs, which are uh, when we physically fly to a country. So, yeah, I, uh, I've been on seven Navy ships to include uh, two CVN carriers. Uh, the last unit I was with, uh, my F-18 squadron, we were the uh, last West Coast boat, uh, boat command for, uh, for the Marine Corps. So every year and a half, we would chop out to the Navy and we would be underneath the uh, Navy's uh, carrier air wing for, okay. a, uh, for a deployment cycle. And uh, yeah, I deployed on the, uh, the Stennis and the, uh, and the Reagan. But I started out, I started out uh, with uh, Gator Navy. So LHAs and LHDs, the, the, the smaller carriers, I mean, they're still huge, but right. the helicopter carriers, uh, I was on those. I did uh, three of those, an LPD, and uh, yeah, like the, the things you see out in the ocean, I mean, I, I actually find it, uh, I'm glad it happened the way it did, because when I joined the Marine Corps, the one thing that I asked my recruiter was, if I would end up stuck on a Navy ship, because I did not want to be on a Navy ship. I was 19 years old. I had no idea what what it was even going to be. Yeah. But at that point in time, young and dumb, I was like, oh yeah, I don't I don't want to be on no Navy ship. Years later, I'm going, man, how do I get back to these Navy ships? Because <laughs> this flying to a country, getting off, Having, having war and then getting back on an airplane and flying home, I mean, it wasn't as much fun. You didn't get to stop in places like, you know, Thailand and Singapore. Right. So, uh, oh, Singapore. Yeah, like my, I mean, Marines have a different experience. I was an Army. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember getting literally on R&R from Baghdad to San Diego. Yeah. Took two weeks. Yes. Took two weeks. Yeah. I had yeah. to go from Baghdad to Balad, Balad, to Kuwait, Kuwait, to Ireland, Ireland, to Bangor, Maine, Maine, to Dallas, and then Dallas to here. Yep. And each time was like three days in between. I'm like, yeah. The they fucked, that, they fucked that you over space on available. That's why I always <laughs> love, I always love when you, like your civilian friends are all like, oh man, but you got that space available. No, dog, you don't even understand, man. It takes people like you on orders, going home on orders three weeks yeah. to basically cover half the globe. It takes this anyone who is trying to use that for leave and liberty, it takes them three weeks to get from coast to coast. Yeah. You know, it's like, no. Like, it. yeah, sure. It's, it's one of those great things that people hear about and they think that, like, we're, like, jet-setting all over the place and... Oh, I just spent a weekend in Germany because space A. No. It's good for one little hop. Like I've exactly. taken it from San Diego to Hawaii. Yep. One little hop, that yep. was great. But you can't get back. Right. <laughs> yep. Exactly. You can get there. Yeah. Good luck getting plan back. Plan on using it to get to where you're going and plan on, you know, flying commercial back. That's about the only way it works. It's honestly not that bad of, yep. that, that bad of a deal. Like if you have a set of time set aside to where you like you're it's you gotta definite, be retired right? though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you just be like, "Hey, like I leave when I leave. I just need to make sure I'm back by this date." Yeah. And then you Then you got this guy back. coming up going, "Hey man, I'm trying to get to San Diego. I got to bump you." Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's still 3 weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so going back, 
Yeah. Thir- 13 years, right? Yep, 13. So how did it come to an end? So it was, it was a really real time in my life. So I basically had gotten back from my last deployment and uh, I, my, my uh, reenlistment papers were sitting up in our career planner's office. So the career planner is the squadron guy that handles your reenlistment. Right. Was All he I good, had to do was, was go upstairs dude? and sign this thing. Was he a good dude? Yeah, he was a good dude. Okay. Yeah. The, most of the career planners are good dudes. They're not getting anything out of it. You know, they're not like, you know, they're not like personally gaining anything. So, you know, they, they normally will be the people who actually work on your behalf to try to get you what you want. And all I wanted was after numerous deployments, I just wanted a couple of years to unwind. And so right. I asked to go to a, uh, I asked to go to a training command. Okay. When I asked to go to a training command, that put me on my monitor's radar. And my monitor looks and goes, oh man, you've been in uh, San Diego for over 12 years. And we were just starting to enter into the beginning of peacetime. And he goes, yeah, you gotta move. And I'm like, eh, it's not gonna work. I'm like, honestly, had I raised my family where we were moving duty stations every four to five years? Absolutely. But the Marine Corps left me here because it was in their benefit for me to stay in San Diego and to stay deploying to the theater over and over and over again. They left me here for 12 years and my family rooted here. Yeah. My, my wife's from here, my kids have only known here, and my ex-wife is here. So I was looking at, if I executed the orders that the Marine Corps was offering me, I was gonna end up going to the East Coast, which meant that my two oldest kids, I was basically gonna have to say bye to them yeah. for the last portion of their, uh, of, you know, their time as children. Because the reality is I probably would have went over there and I would have been stuck over there until I retired, which was seven years. Yeah. So by that point in time, my oldest one would have been getting ready to graduate high school by the time I eventually came back. And so I took a leap of faith. I looked at my wife and I said, hey, this isn't working. I think I'm going to have to get out. I had nothing lined up except for the, uh, the post 9-11 GI Bill and unemployment, which going from being a staff sergeant, making BAH and you know with good time in service, and I was making a pretty penny yeah. to go to unemployment, which was $1,900 a month, and GI Bill, which the BAH was uh, I think about $2,000 a month. I basically went to four grand a month from what I was making, you know, previously, which basically was half. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, I just believed, I believed it was the right decision to make. And I took that leap, which was literally two weeks before my EAS. I was, uh, I walked in off from the flight line and my master sergeant looked at me and said, you need to make a decision you need to make it today. I either want you to walk upstairs, sign that reenlistment paper, or I want you to have, uh, I want you to uh, put a uh, checkout sheet on my desk by the end of the day. Probably the wrong thing to say to somebody, you know, especially somebody like myself, because I've always, I've always been pretty prideful, you know, I'm a man of my word, you yeah. know. So I walked over to admin, 
said, hey, I'm EASing. And the, the Lance Corporal looks at me, goes, okay, uh, when uh, Staff Sergeant? And I was like, in two weeks. His eyes got about this big. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I'm going to go get the gunny. I'm like, yeah, you need to go get the gunny. Gunny comes over and he's like, man, I get it. He's like, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to, or I'd like to be able to say that I haven't seen, you know, people in your situation, but we're seeing more and more of them. And, you know, having somebody in for 10 years no longer guarantees 20, like the Marine Corps' mentality was. If right. you could get somebody to 10 years, the, you can count on them for 20. Because if they go over 10 years, they'll stay to get that retirement. But more and more people were, more and more staff NCOs were getting out of the Marine Corps because peacetime was coming back around. And we all remembered what peacetime was. And peacetime's a lot of extra bullshit. Yeah. You got more inspections, like all of this stupid stuff that's just not fun because they have to fill your day up with something. So, I mean, part of me was going, yeah, I'm getting out of here before I get back, right? <laughs> so it took two weeks. I had to, uh, I ended up doing, the following week I did taps and tamps, which is mandatory. Everybody has to do it. It's basically, you know, a crash course on, you know, oh crap, you're gonna be a civilian. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I went through that. I uh, got everything uh, working uh, for uh, my VA and stuff right in taps and tamps. So that was cool that the VA came nice. out and they did everything right there. So, you know, a month later, I was starting to get a uh, VA paycheck which was nice, you know, helped to offset that cost of, you know, basically being borderline homeless here soon. <laughs> Fortunately, my mother-in-law, we were living with her at the time and, uh, you know, she's such a great lady, you know, she's done so much for us over the years. And uh, that part I didn't have to worry about. I still knew that my family would have food on the table. We'd still have a roof over our head. So that at least allowed me to sleep a little bit at night. I still wasn't getting a lot, but, uh, it eventually, it eventually ended up, I was, I was only on unemployment for three months. And then and I then, walked into the job I have now, and I've been there ever since. So you didn't use the GI Bill then? No, I did. I, I still ended up uh, using the GI Bill and uh, because I didn't have a degree. So I still, I still continued to use the GI Bill, but I was working, okay. which was nice because it was an extra, it was an extra boost to yeah. help, uh, pay off that three month gap that I had where, you know, certain things weren't getting paid for, right. you know, the, the reality is we all like to think that like, you know, we could pay all of our bills and that would be awesome. But there, like during that three months, it was like, okay, so what's important? Yeah. What gets paid and what do I risk, you know, losing? Cell phone is how I'm going to get phone calls about interviews and possible job opportunities suddenly now cell phones are more important than car payments are you know and you slow that's the unfortunate thing is you get into that situation where suddenly you have to start making these decisions and it becomes very very real and i mean i i could see and i i work a lot with the uh, homeless through my church but uh I can see how we have so many veterans, especially, you know, it's not PFCs and Lance Corporals who are getting out after their first enlistment who are ending up homeless. We're seeing officers who are homeless. You know, well. the reality is the world is a really, really uh, hard place to learn to operate in when you've been in the military as long as some of us have. So, I mean, when it really, 
we're at a disadvantage because we weren't civilians four years ago. You know, I hadn't been a civilian for almost a decade and a half. A lot of things had changed. And fortunately, I was in a good situation. I only went three months and I walked into a job that, you know, I'm going to end up working at until I retire. Not everybody has that situation, you know? And, you know, I would like to, you know, sit here and tell people, oh, take the leap of faith. But no, do what's right for you because that was right for me because I had no other choice. You know? So what would be your advice? My advice, start planning as early as possible. Okay. Start, start looking at how you're going to live because the reality is you're not going to have time to figure it out after you leave. After you leave, best case scenario, you're going to start work the following week. You know, and or go to school or go to school. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even like that's fine for like, you know, the the Lance Corporal or the Corporal or even the Sergeant who, you know, maybe it's just him, his wife, possibly a kid. The GI Bill and or the post 9-11 GI Bill and the uh, the uh, what do they call it? Uh, Unemployment might be enough to keep you, especially if your wife's got a job. Yeah. But the reality is when you're a family of six living in Southern California, life got real, <laughs> real, real quick. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the, it was scary. But at the same time, you're also you're also the head of your family. Right. So you can't freak out. In fr- you know, as much as I would like to say that, you know, I mean, my wife, great. She was awesome. She was fully supportive. But I mean, there was still things as a man and as the head of that family I wasn't coming home and being like, yeah, you know, so I lost my, I like lost my marbles in the uh, car today uh, after an interview because they want me to, you know, do, they want me to advertise spray wash. Like, cause I mean, here, here, here's the truth of the matter. I went to every single interview. I didn't care what the job was about. And that's another thing that I highly recommend. Okay. When, when you're looking at 13 years, even four years, you haven't interviewed, you haven't interviewed for anything. So you don't have any, like, you don't have any experience with it. And as we all know, when you first start interviewing, it's very intimidating. You know, that person on the other side of the table really at certain points holds your life in his hands. Is he going to give you the job and allow you to live? Or is he going to tell you to, you know, take a hike and go further down the street and maybe you'll find something else. Go to every interview schedule them. I don't care what they are. If they're below you or beneath you or they financially wouldn't be able to support you. I was I was going to interviews where I had people on the other side of the table looking at me going, this job's not right for you. And I'm like, what? I can't spray stuff on a car and wipe it off with a rag? They're like, eh. and I'm like, no, listen, I just want to go through it because I want the experience of interviewing because this is the only way I'm going to get good at this is by interviewing. So that is, I will say that is probably one of the biggest things for people getting out of the military. Start interviewing, start going, treat every job as if it's a six figure job. Walk in there. I don't care if it's McDonald's and you're, you're applying for shift work, put on the suit coat, put on the tie, shine the shoes, walk in there as if you're walking into a HR for a six-figure job. Just do it. Worst comes to worst, they're gonna look at you and like within the first five minutes go, hey, I don't think this job's right for you. 
cool. Can we still proceed with the interview? Because I'm garnering experience here. Right. And do it. That that in itself, that that is probably the most humbling experience. But at the same time, it paid so many dividends in the end that I walked in and got the job I got hired at. Later on, I would hear horror stories about people going through their interview processes. When I walked in, I literally said like maybe five words to the big interview uh, interviewee or interviewer. And he was like, hey, how much you wanna make a bet or how much you wanna make? I wrote it down on a piece of paper. He's like, okay, hey, my assistant's gonna be in to get you a uh, bottle of water. Panel interview will start. Within a year, I had heard so many horror stories about other people who had sat in that room where he walked in and was like, yeah, so you don't have a PowerPoint presentation? Like, how am I supposed to know, like, you know what? Hey, I'm gonna schedule this interview for another week. I need you to go home and prepare something that you're willing to present. And I'm like, what happened with, and my boss looked at me and was like, hey, just just take it as it was and realize that like, you know, you lucked out. But <laughs> I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I went into that interview dressed appropriately. I carried myself, because I had just done like 60 interviews in three months. I had an interview every morning and every afternoon because I looked at, while I was on unemployment, I looked like, yeah, you know what? I'm working for that $1,900 a month. My job is to interview in the morning and interview in the afternoon. And I want to say um, from from personal experience, from college, I had to do informational interviews. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to these places and interview the CEO. And uh, I actually went to one. I found this company that, that does the, the Miles Gear. Mm-hmm. You guys have the Miles Gear, the, the laser yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The yeah. training shit. Yeah, right? the training yeah. Uh, laser uh, yeah, yeah. This guy, This guy actually makes them. Oh, wow. And uh, I used to, of course, use those in, in the yeah. army. I only and saw I them in Heartbreak Ridge. That was it. And uh, I went, <laughs> and instead of him interviewing me, I went to interview him. That's cool. And I showed up. I showed up in a three-piece suit. Yeah. And everybody thought that I was, like, an investor. Yeah. Everybody thought I was some bigwig, and I'm just some <laughs> college kid, right? And I interview him. And then at the end of the interview, he's like, so uh, can I hire you? <laughs> I was like, fuck. I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I wish I could, but I'm in school right now. I can't drop out of school. I want to, you know, yeah, it's finish my awesome, education. Right? Do you have and, his uh, business card? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Justin and I show up in tuxes and we look like the two uh, <laughs> like stepbrothers. Step <laughs> We're here I'm to interview you. <laughs> but yeah, I would say, I would say show up. And, and know information yeah. about them and ask them questions. Yes. That's a big thing. Don't just yeah. let them ask you. Come prepared with questions for them. We live in and, a and, world and where... like, you know, you don't have anything to lose. Yeah, we live in a world where everything you need to know about a company is literally two Google searches away. Do some research. Not only will it tell you that it's a company that you really want to work for, but... They like it when people come and talk about them, right? Yeah. You know, they yeah, they want big. to they want to hear that you're interested in working there, Find not that the you're CEO interested is. in getting a paycheck. Yeah. Why do you want to work here? Because I like what you do. Yeah. Well, what do we do? You know, that article that that featured you in Forbes, that article that yes. featured you in in Absolutely. you know CNN. 
you know, and, and yeah. cite those sources and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the reality is they're sitting on the other side of the table going, well, if he did his research, he really wants to work here. If we hire him and we treat him good, we're not going to have to hire somebody for this next position until he's ready to move up into the next position. So at this point, this guy's making us money. And you're oh. beneficial to the company too. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Because hire, the hiring is not cheap. Like no. going through the interview mm. process and then oh, getting yeah. everybody in docked and then you find out somebody didn't work out. You just wasted all of that money oh, yeah. training that guy up just to find yep. out that he's not going to cut it. And then you got to boot him and then you got to go through the whole process all mm -hmm. over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you guys probably see like on the, uh, on uh, the triple B on the main page, not the hunting page, which is funny because I got to go to the hunting page to hyperlink to the main page, right? But uh, I, I post up, because I've stayed very active in uh, in the... Uh, San Diego County Hiking Network? Well, right? no, no, the uh, the job networks. Uh, okay? Oh, yeah. So like you'll you just, see, yeah, you I post, post today. everything. I posted today yeah. about AMP mechanics uh, that they need. I think it was in either Van Nuys or Ventura. Yeah. I get all of these things, and like I've had a lot of these places. I've stayed, I've stayed personal... Uh, I wouldn't say friends, but personal acquaintances with the the headhunters because I worked with all of them while I was looking for jobs, but I made a good enough impression that they've they've stayed and I've even had some of them contact me going, Hey, uh, how can we uh how can we get in touch? Because we heard that your company does uh does uh uh contractors. I'm like, no. <laughs> like not doing it. Like because the way I look at it is where, where I work is where I work, you know? Right. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, I have, I have hired or I have submitted people that I know and that I will personally vouch for for job opportunities in the company, and that's fine. But in the end, they're all people that I've known and I vouch for because my name's on there. And, you know... Being raised the way I was raised, my name means something to me. You know, my dad's like, take care of your name because sometimes your name is going to be what gets you by. You know, when you tell somebody and they go, oh, I know who you are. I'm familiar with your work because I recognize your name. And that that's something that I've always taken really good, uh, really good care of because, you know, it's something it's the one thing my dad gave me that, you know, meant the world to him i mean he still gives me he still gives me heartache about not uh not naming one of my four sons gary <laughs> i mean like he's like where where's where's the third where's the third and i'm like dad dad i'm not doing that i'm not doing that and like he you know he took it as a personal slight at one point he's like and i'm like no dad like it's 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 gonna be fine but like you know I take. You I take nickname my, one of them, Gary. Well, like my, my youngest one, my youngest one occasionally goes by three. Okay. That's what he calls. He calls himself that. He's like oh, that's three. Awesome. Yeah. So I, you know what? It works for the Hanks. Yeah. You know, like you, you look at like Hank Williams. Like Hank Williams was the only one named Hank. Like the rest of them all had different names, but then they just go by Hank. So hey, you know what? It works for them. It's good enough for me. But right on. yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, you know, but it's very, very real. And I will say on the mental health side of things for individuals to realize that upon separating from the service, 
that the VA is there for them to get into the VA immediately after getting out, getting that set up so that you can get that healthcare and realizing that before it's too late, start to recognize if you start to feel yourself mentally going down. You know, the, the truth of the matter is there are warning signs. There's plenty of stuff that you, like you can read on the internet. There's plenty of stuff you can pick up in pamphlets. There are plenty of people that, you know, we have the ability to go and talk to who will help us recognize and also give us the coping skills to hopefully get us through those harder points in life and take care of, you know, our mental health. Because the truth of the matter is it's all a landslide. You lose your finances. Well, first you lose your sense of belonging. You're no longer in the military. Then you lose your financial support because now you're having to live on unemployment and the GI Bill. Then that all starts to spiral into stressors and anxieties, which leads to a depletion in your mental health. If you can't remove one of those things, you can't stop the avalanche. So you either rejoin the military, you get that financial uh, that financial stability back, or you get into somewhere who will teach you coping skills and provide you with a venue to not only vent, but also to get knowledge from. And I mean, the truth of the matter is every single one of us has access to that. You know, and and it doesn't have to be just VA. No, it doesn't it, have to it be can VA. Be an it's anything like Triple yeah. B Adventures. Triple B does it. The VFW. You know? Yeah, and I say American get Legion. actively involved in groups like Triple B because right. what it does is it helps remove one of those portions of the avalanche. If you can't get back in or you don't want to get back in, but at the same time you can't, you know, fix your finances and you start to feel yourself mentally slipping. Get involved with a group like Triple B because what that'll do is that'll go and remove that sense of not belonging anywhere because now you found somewhere you belong. But the other great thing about that is you got guys like Justin, you've got guys like Brady, you've got guys like me who are on the outside who are constantly pumping, you know, these military angle jobs in the civilian world out over the Facebook pages, hoping that people see them call the numbers, click on the websites, and go and find that job and get that financial stability back. You know, But at the same time, if you have the ability to remove two of those elements of the avalanche, then you're, you're that much better. So if you have the ability to join a group like Triple B and get involved with what they're doing, also go and seek that mental health, that get those coping mechanisms because the days of kicking a toolbox across the shop and telling your Lance corporals to go and find all the tools or, you know, <laughs> taking them on a run until like, you know, they're all vomiting and you look all hard until you turn around the side of the building and vomit your guts out. Like those days are gone. Like that's not how the world works anymore. Mm. So you don't have those venues to vent, find them. Triple B does their monthly campouts. They do great events all year round. You know, 
You like hunting? And you do events too. I do events. Talk yeah, about your events. So, so San Diego Hiking Network. I started uh, I started it about three years ago. And uh, let's see. You can find us on, uh, we are a Facebook group page. It's called San Diego Hiking Network. Don't get it confused with the San Diego County Hiking Group. Uh, we're completely <laughs> different. We do a different thing. But uh, we do... I, I don't care if you're a veteran. I don't care if you're a dependent. I don't care if you're a civilian. All I care about is do you want to go outside and you want to see some cool stuff? Because that's the kind of stuff that I created San Diego Hiking Network for. Oh, yeah. I created it three years ago. And uh, with that, what in the, I don't even know what's going on with my phone <laughs> right now. But uh, we are over 300 members strong in three years. Uh, originally, when I started it up, it was a place for people to connect with other people who wanted to get outdoors and hike. That's where the networking portion comes from. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just wanted a place where people could go and, you know, if they were looking for somebody to hike with, they could find somebody to hike with. If you're going to buy gear, hiking gear, hiking is the most expensive way to go take a walk. <laughs> okay, and I would love to sit here and tell you that I did it the right way, you know, with like all of this experience that I've had, but no, I didn't. I have the same half a garage full of gear that I haven't touched in years because that's what we do. We go, hey, that would be cool, and we go and spend our hard-earned money on it. We use it a couple of times, and then it sits in the garage, and we don't ever get rid of it because we paid a whole bunch of money for it. So I want to take that out of the world of hiking. Okay. I, want you, I want you to be able to go to the network and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this. And therefore, a bunch of people will reply back to you and say, hey, highly recommend it. Or, hey, there's better gear out there. Check out this. Or, don't buy that. I've had it sitting in my garage for three years. It's useless. Yeah. You know, Or maybe you might say, hey, yeah, I've got that version. Yeah. I'll let you... Try it out exactly. for, for a day. And that's the other thing. That's So the network, I created it. That's it. That's it. Like, it's not mine. I created the network for the members to use. I don't care how they use it as long as, you know, it's what, you know, I... I don't need I don't need Jeffrey Epstein showing up using San Diego Hiking <laughs> Network to uh, you know do the things that that guy was doing. I didn't need that, okay? But I'm pretty lenient on like what I allow them to do. I mean, you want to plan out a group hike, you want to invite people to a hike that you're doing, you want to ask questions about a certain trail. We have 300 members who can possibly answer every single question that you have somewhere along those 300 people. That's so, awesome. you know, and it's free. Yeah. And so originally, uh, the first couple of years, I was doing monthly overnight hikes. Because the biggest thing I want people to understand is you can go outside and you can do more than a couple of hours. And it's not this big deal. Right. Like people get scared. You start hearing about, oh my God, man, I did a two, this guy did a two or a three day trip on the PCT. <laughs> and I, I'm, you know, the PCT is great. I'm glad that the Southern, the, the Southern portion of it is in our backyard. It's great. But it is also a national scenic trail. Right. It's in great condition. It's well-traveled. It's where, like, anybody can hike the PCT, portions of the PCT. 
not expecting you to go out and do all 2,600 miles, okay? But the truth of the matter is, you can do day hikes on that thing. That trail is in better condition than almost any other trail around here because it gets federal money. It's taken care of on a federal basis. Like, it's groomed, it's taken care of. The PCTA, the Pacific Crest Trail Association, they do immense amount of work on that trail year round. It's awesome. Don't be scared of the PCT. But realize that... And it's historical, too. It's historical. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, so cool. it's taking you through... I mean, if you really want... If you want the opportunity to get as close to seeing what it was like for the, West, the Western expansionists to walk out into the wilderness and, you know, just be there, we have it in our backyard. We have the first, you know, the first 200 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail right here. And that's the kind of stuff that you can experience there because a large amount of it down here, a large amount of it does not go through uh, civilized areas. Right. You know, once you start getting up north, you start hitting more towns and cities, but down here, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty it's pretty rural. So, yeah, me and Nate know. actually hiked a section of it yeah. uh, when last year's, at, well, at this year's pheasant, pheasant hunt. hunt. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. With, the, with the pheasant hunt that we're going to have again this coming yeah. February, it's at Lake Morena, and the PCT goes right by the campground yep. where we were staying. So we actually uh, hiked a section, and there was actually snow on the ground. Yeah. Because it was when the eight just got obliterated yep. with snow, and people oh, were yeah. losing their goddamn minds <laughs> over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it got down to, like, 26 degrees, I think, that weekend that we were <laughs> yeah. camping out there. <laughs> it was so fucking cold. Oh, it's so good. But so when, good. Yeah, so we do the hunt on Sunday and Saturday. Me, Nate, and uh, Dirty went yep. out, and we hiked a section of it. Climbed a couple of rocks, you know, off oh, the trail, yeah. which I'm sure if someone would have saw us, they would have oh, yeah. fucking hated us for it. But, <laughs> no, you know. you know what? There, there are, there are those, but you know, it goes right back to what we were talking about with, you know, like people saying, drink your drink, drink yeah, your, hike, own hike drink, your own hike, smoke your own smoke, hike your own hike. Yeah. You know, just don't destroy anything. Right, right, right. Leave it better. I mean, you and I, we, we do, when we go hunting, I mean, we come out with pockets full of trash. Oh, yeah, Mylar balloons. Yeah, Mylar balloons, all of this stuff. Rusted out cans. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, the person who would say something about you stepping off the side of the trail to climb on top of a rock to get a really cool picture that would probably get five more people who follow you on social media to actually step on that trail and go out and see it for themselves, the person who's complaining about that is probably the person who released that Mylar balloon. Yeah. Okay. That's Fucking that's who that person is. All right. And yeah, yeah. You can't prove it's not you. So, ha, 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 ha. but the the reality is, is you know we're stewards of nature. Yes, but at the same time, you know, it's there to enjoy. You can't enjoy things from you know behind glass. This isn't the zoo. Yeah. If I wanted a zoo experience, I would go to the San Diego Zoo or the Wild Animal Park. I don't want that. I want to go out and I want to sleep with mountain lions. Wake up with <laughs> rattlesnakes in my boots. You know? No, I'm kidding. I've never had any of those things happen. So don't be scared of going outside. But, yeah. And so, originally, uh, when I first started out, I was doing overnight hikes. Uh, monthly overnight hikes. But uh, you, you start running out of trails. And I started basically getting the same group of people who were showing up regularly. And then eventually even those people ended up dwindling down because they had already done those trails a couple of times. And you know what? 
no harm, no foul. So I took the last year off to focus on uh, hunting, you know, hanging out with my cousin, you know, oh, yeah. like out shooting. And we, you know, we, we go out, when we go out, we go out and we actually stay where we're hunting. You know, we hike in, set up camp, and then we hike from the camp out to the areas where we hunt. And you know, we'll spend a couple of days out there. So I was still getting my outdoor bug filled, but I needed to step back a little bit to really evaluate how I was going to re-engage people in 2020 to get more people to come back. And that's when I came up with uh, a tier plan of how, how I could change it up and make it exciting. And hopefully that brings people back to us. Now, part of that was working with Colin McDonald, who we mentioned earlier, who's a personal friend of all of ours, owns uh, Kit Fox Outfitters up on Main Street in Ramona. Um, you can find him on Facebook. You can like him on Instagram. Hashtag <laughs> get the fox out there. There you go, Mac. All right. Hey, um, but uh, yeah, so Colin, Colin and Steph, I've known them forever. And uh, Colin and I sat down and we started talking about, because he has a vested interest in San Diego Hiking Network, not just as a member, but he also owns an outfitting store. So, you know, it's kind of like San Diego Hiking Network has our own like personal outdoor supplier, you know? So remember that, any members of uh, San Diego Hiking Network that's looking for stuff to buy. Okay, I'm done plugging you, Mac. But, uh, Use the TBA 2020 as the discount yeah. code. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is, like, uh, we I needed to reapproach this because what I had done worked for a couple of years, but it wasn't working anymore. And I was losing, I was losing out on the ability to do what I initially set out to do. You know, I'm not trying to make money. I'm not, I'm basically just trying to provide a venue for people to share resources, share knowledge and possibly come hike, you know, because I used to hike by myself. Now, now I like to hike with people. So, you know, it's, it's cool stuff. So in 2020, starting in January. Uh, the first phase is going to go over the first couple of months where we're going to focus on like day hikes, shorter hikes to introduce people to uh, different types of gear. And I'm going to work uh, directly with Colin on um, some classes to go over different types of gear, things that, you know, are available, you know, what to buy, what not to buy, what we use versus what we don't use and why we don't use them, things like that. Right. And once uh, phase one's done, which will be, you know, a couple of hikes per month for a couple of months, we'll move into phase two. Phase two is going to be a couple of overnight hikes where we actually go out and we do uh, we do some land nav. And uh, I know Brady said that uh, he wants to be involved in that. So we'll see how uh, how that comes to fruition. But we're going to teach people how to like actually backcountry, you know, through oh, hikes awesome. on places that don't have paths. We're going to take maps. We're going to take compasses. We're going to take GPSs. And we're going to show everybody how all of these things work and how to use it so that they can go out and you know venture through Cleveland National Forest. Because here you have Cleveland National Forest. Sure, there's a bunch of trails there, but there's also an opportunity to go out and get lost, the good kind of lost, <laughs> where you're not running into you know a bunch of hikers. Because unfortunately, if you're on the PCT in uh, April or May and uh, August and, uh, and September, you're gonna notice that there's a lot of people on there because a lot of people are going north and south. You know, they're either going from Mexico to Canada or from Canada to Mexico. 
and you're gonna run into a whole bunch of people. So you may not wanna be on the trails during that period of time. You may wanna still be outside though. So there's a bunch of these really, really great backcountry places that I, I think after building up, you know, some key skills and some key knowledge, we can safely take people out there in smaller groups and really enjoy being out there. And then phase three, phase three will be uh, the uh, the tail end. So, you know, we're looking about, you know, sometime uh, probably summertime, uh, we're looking at multiple day trips. We're looking at, you know, going out and spending, you know, three to four days hiking, you know, not resupplying. Everything that you have is everything you have yeah. in your back, you know, and you're actually gonna like, you know, have the opportunity to see some of these places, you know, that take a little bit of duration to get to, you know, but they're always worth it. The walk is always paid off in dividends when you reach the destination, you know? And I just took, uh, I took my, uh, my two youngest sons. So my 14 year old and my nine year old, I took them fly fishing up in uh, Bishop, uh, up on uh, Bishop Pass. Nice. Uh, this summer and we were up there we were up there for four days and it blew their minds when they saw I mean the Sierras the Sierras is amazing it's amazing when you're driving the 395 and you look over and you see it but yeah. when you're actually inside of it <laughs> like it is amazing and like my, my nine-year-old and my 14 year old hiked from 9,000 to 11,000 feet we spent uh, three days up at uh, at 11,000 feet. My old or my 14 year old did end up with elevation sickness, but he, it was so beautiful up there. He was willing to deal with it. You know? <laughs> that, was, that was the great thing about it was he was willing to deal with it. You know, we caught some trout. We had a great time. We came down out of the mountain, and I mean, they've been talking about going back ever since, because he, despite being a lot of work what you're going to see and what you're going to accomplish and the memories you are going to carry out of there they're amazing and they will stay with you forever you Very know true. and take advantage of it while you're here in southern california because there are so many different places the desert's gorgeous the mountains are gorgeous and we have so much different stuff here even the beaches are gorgeous you know like you can camp on the beach here up near Carlsbad, there's actually uh, even I think down in um, uh, Imperial mean, Beach. Yes, yeah. yeah, you can camp right on the beaches. Yeah. I mean, do it. Mm -hmm. Get outdoors. Enjoy it. It's yours. And for the most part, it's pretty free. Not everything. <laughs> if you are a veteran, to let you know, if you are a veteran and you are service connected at zero percent, you can go to the Cleveland National Head or the Cleveland National Forest Headquarters in Rancho Bernardo, San Diego, and you can get this thing called an access pass, which will give you free access for you and anyone who's inside of your vehicle to all national parks uh, and access to all of the uh, national parks, national forests, BLM, and also it will give you a 50% discount on all federal uh, campgrounds. Boom. Yeah, which is awesome. Big dollars so, If you're at 50%, though, the state of California has a golden access pass that you can apply for. It's a little bit more work, but it's 100% free for all of the uh, state 
uh, all state parks. Uh, a lot of the uh, smaller, uh, smaller uh, city and county parks and the, uh, the state campground uh, reservation website is 100% free. Oh, Gary dropping knowledge bombs. Boom, done. That's the kind of stuff you get from San Diego Hiking Network. That's awesome. And that's, that's, a, good, that's a good segue. Yeah. So you had mentioned reality. The reality is it's coming up on two hours. So wow! We, we gotta, we gotta, I told you, man. Get this guy. Get this guy. We got. We got to get you here. We got to get you here more. So I'm gonna yeah, ask. No, absolutely. I'm gonna ask two more questions. Okay, got it. Uh, first is, um, where can people find you? Okay, so you can find San Diego Hiking Network on uh, Facebook group pages. Just look up San Diego Hiking Network. You'll see a uh, really cool. Uh, 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 logo. It's uh, two mountains with the sun above it, blue background for the sky, and then uh, the uh, San Diego Hiking Network above it. That's how you can tell it's us and not San Diego County Hiking Group page or whatever it's called. All right, so make sure you're on the network. Um, reach out to me on there. Uh, go ahead and uh, when when, uh, when you check it out, go ahead and uh, join up. It's free, and uh, you know. Whether, whether you're looking for day hikes or whether you're looking for something uh, a little bit longer, you'll, you'll be able to find somebody that hikes your pace. And uh, if you can't find anybody, call me. I'll hike with you. All right. You like that, that Top Gun reference? <laughs> <laughs> you can my, be my hiking buddy anytime. <laughs> my second question is a, a two-part question. Mm -hmm. First is favorite military gear, and the second part of that is uh, favorite hiking gear. Okay, so... Favorite military gear, oh God. There's so much, like especially over the years going through, there were so many different things. But I'm gonna say right now, my favorite piece of gear, and I highly recommend it to anyone because civilians, civilians can get as much use out of this as anybody else, and you can normally find it for a really good price, and it's very, very durable, lasts forever, and it will keep you warm in some of the coldest places. I know, I've tried it out, I've seen it, I've slept in snowbanks with it, is the, uh, was it the four-piece, uh, the four-piece modular sleep system? Comes with the bivy sack, the uh, cold weather bag, the uh, warm weather bag, and then the stuff sack. But that, if you're not military, don't those run like $800? No, so go on to uh, go on to uh, great sites like uh, was it uh, what, what's our uh, what's our buddy up in Oceanside? Uh, Gearhound. Yeah, Gearhound will have it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go and I mean, like worst comes to worst, you can't get to a place you don't have a place around you. And I know a lot of little businesses will hate me right now for saying this, but the reality is, I'm a father of four. I'm a family of six living in San Diego, California. Sometimes I gotta go to the Amazon. All right, you, you get on to Amazon. You could probably pull that. Uh, you could probably pull that modular system in a very good used uh, uh, condition. You probably pull it for under two hundred bucks. All okay. four pieces, okay. and that thing you can sleep in a snowbank with. So that's your favorite military. Gear. Yep. Now your favorite. Okay, so my favorite, my favorite civilian hiking gear. Because I am a hiker and I am a hunter and I'm also a father of four and a family of six living in San Diego, California, budget is key. I buy my gear to serve two purposes. I hunt and I hike with it. So with that being said, one of my favorite all-time companies out there is Alps Outdoors. 
A-L-P-S, outdoors with a Z on the end of it. Those guys make gear that lasts forever. It's rugged, it's, it's sleek looking, it looks good, but it takes into account the fact that hunters hike and hikers hunt. Nice. So get out there and check those guys out. They have got some awesome gear. And you'll notice that a couple of their packs look very, very familiar to, uh, to uh, some of our Jarhead friends because, uh, yeah, they look very, very similar to uh, some of our uh, Ilby packs. So. All right. Well, on behalf of Triple B Adventures, I'm Nate Landshark Shermer. Justin Allen, the funny man. Hey. <laughs> and I'm Gary Patterson. <laughs> cheers, cheers, cheers. Get the buck outside. Mm.